just celebrated an impressive milestone 20 years since founding Noble Mortgage. In this video, we will explore the strategies and the principles that have contributed to his sustainable success over the past two decades. So join us as we uncover the secret to Daryl's impressive achievement and gain valuable insight to apply to your own entrepreneurial endeavors. Ready to dive in? So if you've been enjoying our podcast, we would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a review. Thank you for your support. You are listening to The Real Estate Ballers Show. I'm your host, V. Lee. This is the show where I interview upcomers, doers, and ballers of the real estate investing world. I want to bring you real life lessons and takeaways so that you can make smarter decisions about investing in real estate and accelerating your real estate businesses. The purpose is to help you to reach your financial freedom in real estate investing faster. All right, Daryl, welcome to the Real Estate Ballers Show. Thank you for having me, V. Thank you for having me. I've been hearing about it for a long time, and you know, I kept waiting for my phone to ring to see when I was going to be able to be on, and finally, I guess you saved the best for last. That's it. Well, it's not the last show yet, but yes, you are. You are one of the best that we got in the industry. So tell us, how long have you been in business? So we actually celebrated 20 years this year at Noble Mortgage uh, last month. So uh, we're super excited about that. We had a big happy hour and uh, bought some cool shirts for my team and all that sort of thing. So yeah, it's been 20 years as of last month. Well, congratulations. So Noble is a uh, lending company, but Correct. that's not the only business you have, is it? No, I actually started an insurance company two years ago. With that company, I actually have a partner. Um, Hanin is my partner in that. She's licensed. She runs the insurance company. I'm more a silent partner that's helping build the business because she's never owned a business. She's young. So I'm there as a more of a, a consultant to kind of help build the business and obviously refer a business when I can as well. So in today's operations, um, you have two businesses, Noble and the insurance company? Yes. Okay. Well, some people may say that you are lucky, but I say that you did a lot of legwork in the beginning to get you to where you are today. So if you have to give it one key thing of, you know, how you were able to keep Noble for 20 years and operate at, you know, a good success level, what would that be? Man, I have to say grit. I have to say you have I have a lot of grit and persistence and you need to be passionate about your business. But, you know, grit is one of those things that, uh, you know, you don't necessarily you're not necessarily born with it. But you, you know, some people are, but, you know, you definitely have to learn it if you own a business because you're going to have a lot of ups and downs. And when you own a business, it comes down to you like you're at all the buck stops with you. So, you know, we made it through the Great Recession of 08 and 09. And, you know, it was stressful, but I just, you know rolled my sleeves up and, and and did what we had to do to survive that horrible, horrible uh, recession that we went through and just kept plowing through and just try to figure out a way to keep, you know, keep the, the lights on, if you will, because it was not an easy time. You know, most of my competitors went out of business during that time. So this is meant to be as a compliment. 
every time I look at your Facebook and your social media, you traveling, you're doing fun stuff. How were you able to position yourself to be able to do these things? Because generally speaking, most of the time when people think of business owner, they think, oh my God, this guy worked like 80, 90 hours a week. Do you work 80, 90 hours a week, a week and then find time to have fun? How did you get to your achievement today? So uh, I appreciate that. Yes, I do like to, uh, I work hard and play hard, put it that way. Um, but I like to travel. Uh, I'm a passionate hunter, as you can see with my animals in the background here. That's one of the things I love to do the most. But were, were the, all of those your trophies? Yeah, that's just that's just the tip of the iceberg. I, I got another one this weekend that I still haven't even seen yet. And I got a bear from last year I haven't seen yet. So uh, that's what I really love to do. But, you know, um, when I first started my business, I wasn't that way. I was, you know, I did everything. I literally did everything. I did I did loans. I did all my accounting. I did the loan servicing. Um, I went and looked at all the properties. I reviewed all the deals. I was the IT guy. I was the marketing department. I literally put my hands on everything. And I had a team, but I just literally just did everything. And um, it's called the Superman complex. You know, as a business owner, you're like, I know, I know I can do it better. And you can do it better is the answer because you care more, right? But you can't grow that way. So um, I hired a business coach after the recession because I needed to rebuild my company. And one of the first things he taught me was how to delegate. And he's like, why are you doing your accounting? And I said, well, I'm I'm good at it, you know, and I, I like numbers and I enjoy doing my accounting. He's like, well, what's an accountant going to cost you? And at the time I was like, I don't know, maybe 50,000. He's like, you make more than 50,000. So why are you doing an accountant's job? So he really helped me kind of start letting go, you know, and then I, so I hired an accountant. That was the first thing I did. And that took a lot of, it freed up a lot of time on me and uh, hired a marketing person to do my marketing and then stop doing loans. Like I don't do loans per se anymore. I might refer loans to my loan officers, but I eventually started delegating that enabled me to work on my business instead of in my business. And it also enabled me uh, to free up a lot more time where I could travel and spend time with my family and, and do those kinds of things. So that was the key was building the team and being able to let go and delegate. So what are the things that you put in place so that when you travel and spend time with your family, your business does not skip a beat? I have a really good team. I have a really good team. Uh, we train them well. I empower them. Um, I always try to learn from them. You know, always when I hire someone new, um, we like to you know promote within the ranks. You know, so my one of my vice presidents, Lindsay, she started as an admin, and um, she was an admin for about a year, and then she moved into a loan processing role, and then she moved into management. So I really try to take care of my employees so they stay. You know, I'm trying to retain employees as long as I can because when you retain your employees, you get consistency. And when you get consistency, that gives you better customer service and it also allows you to delegate more and let go of more. And so, you know, my team does an amazing job. Um, you know, I still overlook certain things, but I trust them 100%. That's, that's really the key. How many people do you have in your team? Right now we're at 10 people. <clears throat> we were at 15 last year and we've kind of pulled back a little bit because the market's slowing down a little bit right now and we didn't need as many loan officers. And so we pulled back a little bit trying to see what's going to happen with the market this year. Um, a couple of people left on their own because they had some family issues. So we're at 10 right now, but we have a really strong team still. So having multiple businesses like that, do you ever pull one from one company and have them do work on the other and vice versa? Or do you keep uh, them totally separated? I keep them separated. 
Um, I tried doing that once and it just, it was, it was a struggle because, you know, you got both companies fighting over one person. And so I didn't like it. So now I try to keep it hundred percent separate. Even though the insurance companies in the same building are on the eighth floor where I'm at or on the fourth floor. Um, sometimes they may lend a hand here and there on certain things, but I try to keep all my, uh, my team separately. So tell us what's the fun part of being a business owner and ha on this uh, 20 years journey. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's a lot of fun, you know, it's not for the faint of heart, <clears throat> you know, uh, owning a business is not easy. Um, it can be very lonely. You know, I was just telling somebody that the other day I had lunch with a, a friend of mine that she owns her own business. And uh, I said, boy, it could be lonely owning a business because nobody else gets it, you know? And so I love having lunch or having a drink with other business owners because it can be very lonely because nobody else really gets it. You know, it's almost like its own little, little club, but I, for me, what really I enjoy, I enjoy my team. And that was the one thing I learned from my business coach was to build a culture. And I never had that first, you know, so I started in 03 and we went up to about 15, 16 people. And then during the rate recession, I mean, we went down to two people, me and one other person. And then when I rebuilt the company, I started hiring again. One of the things that my business coach was talking to me about was, um, was building a culture. And I didn't even know what this you know, I hadn't even thought about this. And so we really started building a culture and starts with hiring people that have good attitudes and people that you just get along with and that you want to be around with. And so for me, I, I look forward to Monday because I miss my team and I really enjoy being with my team and, and helping them and working with them. We have a lot of fun. We work hard and so forth. But to me, that's the biggest part of it is the team that you grow around you. And especially if you do it right with culture and you hire the people that you actually want to be around. Because if you think about it, you spend more time with your coworkers than anybody else. Anybody else in your entire lifetime, you will spend more time with your coworkers, including your family. So you better like them. <laughs> so my thing is like, when I interview people, I'm like, I need to like this person first. And I let them, two or three other people interview them. So I'm like, do you like this guy? Do you like this gal or whoever, you know? You know, you, you, you said something very profound, the culture. And I, I totally agree with you because when I, in my early days, I kept hiring and firing and hiring and firing. I'm like, what did I do wrong here? And similar to you, you know, I had a coach and the first exercise we did was core values and culture. Yep. And ever since then, I, I feel like we've, we now have a really strong team too, due to the culture. Um, and, and so to your point, being a business owner is lonely. What has been the biggest challenge for you, uh, whether it's overcoming your own personal challenge or a business challenge? I'm sorry for this interruption. I've been asked a lot about passive investments. And let's be real. There is nothing passive about being a landlord unless you have a really good property management company. So if you own an Airbnb or a short-term rental and you want to get back your time, please give our team at Buzz Vacation Rental a call at 281-549-8432 or go to our website at pm.buzzvacationrentals.com. Now back to the Real Estate Baller Show. Um. You know, personally, for me, I you know, obviously, when you when you own a business, you, you grow a lot as a person. Um, I was a lot more probably introverted when I started my business, but I really had to. Really, I can't tell. <laughs> I know <laughs> you wouldn't know me. You wouldn't know me before I started my business. You know, they you know you always hear that people can't change, and that's that's not true. People can change if they're motivated. And so I started my business, 
and I had a one-year-old at home and my wife was pregnant with another one. So that's motivation, right? So I needed to learn to, to speak publicly and be more outgoing and network and those sorts of things. And so that motivated me, motivated me to do those things. And so I really had to come out of my shell. And so now I'm like the complete opposite of that. Now I'm like, put me on stage. I can talk all day, every day, or put me in a networking event. I love it. But it used to really make me tired. I would be like physically tired after speaking or whatever. So, you know, I had to change a lot. And then from the from the business standpoint, you know, it's always the people. That's always the hardest part when you're running a business is hiring and retaining the right people, you know. And so we're really big on culture here and we try to do it that way. But, you know, people come and go. And so the people is always the hardest part, especially the last couple of years. I'm, I'm sure, you know, you know, most businesses, um, big businesses and small businesses, even more for small businesses, have had a huge, huge uh, a hard time with hiring people and retaining them because the new generation, boy, they, they don't stay around very long. You know, they're might be with you for a year or maybe two and leave. And there's been a, you know, there's been a shortage of people to even hire. So that's been a real struggle the last couple of years is just finding the right people and retaining them. Yeah. If there's a way for us to replace um, people with robots. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe, you know, this chat GPT thing, maybe replacing some of our people here. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. I'm, you know, I'm a little more old school that way. Like we don't have, I don't let my employees work remotely. I take that back. I have one employee that works remotely, you know, but during that whole work at home during COVID, you know, I'm just not wired that way. You know, we, we tried it. We sent our loan officers home, you know, for a couple months and let y'all can work from home. I kept my admin staff at the office and it was awful. Like we lost our culture. The loan officers weren't performing as well, except for one guy. One guy actually excelled and he's about my age, so he's got a little more discipline to him. And he's still working from the house, and he he likes working from the house. He does really good from the house. I'm like, okay, Chris, you can stay home. I don't care. You know, work from home if you want to. We opposite. We built remote. Like our operation okay. is remote, and okay. I feel like it's provide a lot of flexibility. But you're right. To some, we have certain restriction as well, right? We can't build that team culture. Like, hey, let's have happy hour, right? Yep. So we do remote happy hour or virtual happy hours to compensate <laughs> for those other things. Um, yeah, I like to see my people on a daily basis. If they need to work from home every once in a while, I, I allow that. But for the most part, we're an in-office company. But that was another another struggle we've gone through the couple of year, last couple of years is trying to hire someone. You're like, you know, as soon as you're interviewing, they're like, is it a remote job or in-office? You know, we're like in-office. I'm looking for something remote. What's your vision for Noble? Um you know, we're going to continue what we've been doing. Obviously, that's that that's what works. Um, you know, we're a hard money lender. We do conventional loans. We do non-QM loans. So that's what works. Um, we've expanded into the Dallas market. I would like to expand into other markets. Um, we lend still in Dallas and Austin and other cities, but I would I would love to have probably next our satellite office, probably have an office in San Antonio is what we're what we've been thinking about. What do you foresee as the next obstacle that you got to overcome? I think it's the recession that we're going to face this year. Honestly, uh, you know, we've had a really good run in real estate the last several years. Um, and I'm sure you you uh, felt the benefits of that as well. You know, and all my competitors and everybody in, in real estate has had a really, really good five year run, especially the last three years have just been insane. And so that's slowing down. You know, the rates are a lot higher. Uh, the market is not as busy. The, the Fed has already came out. They came out yesterday and said, they're predicting a recession this year. And so, you know, a lot of investors are like, I can't wait for the next recession. I'm like, yeah, but you weren't in the last one. 
<laughs> recession is not good for anybody. You know, a lot of people are like, man, I wish I was there. And I'm like, no, you don't. It was, you know, 2008, 2009 was, it was a bloodbath, you know, in the real estate industry. And a lot of people had to get out of the industry altogether. So recession is never good for anybody. I get it how it, you know, can push prices down, which is good for investors, but it's never good for anybody. So I'm a little bit concerned about that, especially with the high rates, high inflation. And now they're saying we're facing a recession. So I'm just hopefully it's not going to be anything, you know, close to the, the size of the one in 08 and 09. So I'm keeping my eye on that. What are the uh, cause of a recession this time because of rates going up, inflation? What are we talking about? I mean, there's a lot of things that work there. Obviously, I'm not an economist, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that work there. And I think it all started really with, you know, all the money that was pumped into our economy during COVID. You know, I think it's something like a third of the money that is in print was created during 2020. That is a lot of money, you know, and that's what's caused inflation. You know, now all of a sudden inflation is going through the roof and the Fed has to react to that. And the only way they can react to that is by raising rates. So they raised rates so fast the last, you know, eight months, whatever. It's caused bank failures. You know, you had two major banks fails. And so yeah. when a huge bank fails, just that alone, you know, and there's a lot of people think there's going to be more banks that fail because these banks, they can't react quickly enough when the when the Treasury's raised on the rate set quick. So the bank failures have a lot to do with, with the recession if it happens later this year as well. And, you know, they can't just lower the rates again really fast because inflation is still a problem. So they're, they're in a tough they're in a tough spot because inflation raising the rates is the only weapon they have against inflation. It's the only weapon they have. So they've done it. But now it's caused other things. So there's mm -hmm. a lot of things that work there. Obviously, 20 years in the business. This is not your first disruptions in the market. At what point would you say, OK, time to be proactive and make adjustment to, you know, less in anticipation to this recessions that on the horizon? Oh, we're already doing that. <laughs> we're already doing that. We've been doing that for the last uh, probably five months, you know, towards probably towards the third quarter or towards the fourth quarter of last year. You know, we could see obviously the rates were already going up at that point. Um, the market was slowing down. And so, you know, when that does that as a lender, you know, you have to start being a little more careful, you know, maybe, uh, you know, starts with location. You know, these these areas that are transitional, you know, when the market is on it is on an upswing. You know, you can make a lot of money in those markets when it's transitional. But when the market is now turning back down a little bit, transitional markets can be very, very risky. So we're trying not to do too much in transitional markets, making sure that our borrowers are well capitalized and just really keep an eye on that. We've done a lot of new construction in the last couple of years. We're starting to pull back a little bit on our new construction and just really being careful about what we lend on. So are you able to share maybe a little bit more detail of what adjustment you're making? Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss another show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. I mean, it's nothing, you know, crazy like we're not doing certain things. We're still doing all the same types of loans that we would do before. Mm -hmm. But probably the biggest adjustment we've made is, is location wise, you know, again, when it comes to transitional areas, you know, because homes, you know, in 2020 and 2021 and 2022, you could have just about anything if it was in decent shape and it would sell. Yeah. You know, and, and people were bidding over the ask price, you know, and they'd be buying in these, you know, people were building brand new homes in these really, really early on transitional neighborhoods and selling them and making money. And that's great. Like we lent on those projects. Will I lend on those now? Maybe, you know, I want to know, I want to make sure that my borrower is, 
is is well capitalized. And that's really what gets people in trouble is because, you know, it's more competition in market. So they're going to have to maybe spend a little more money on their property, whether it's new construction or a flip. And it's going to take them longer to sell it. So they need to have the cash reserves in order to withstand that. So we're trying to make sure our, bar our borrowers are a little bit more capitalized, maybe than we would have required in the past, and just be a little bit more careful about which areas we're lending in. So speaking of reserve, do you have a rule of thumb up how much reserve one should have? What I always tell people is when there's a question in real estate, normally the answer is it depends. And the answer <laughs> is it depends. So it depends on a lot of things. It depends on how many projects they have going on at the time. It depends on the size of the loan amount, but it also depends on on the loan amount, how much of that is is construction or for renovations. You know, if it's a two hundred thousand dollar loan with the twenty thousand dollar renovation budget, you know, they don't need a lot of cash reserves because they have to, you know, to keep their contractors going. But if it's a two hundred thousand dollar loan and a hundred thousand dollar renovation, they're going to have more in cash reserves to keep the project moving forward. And same thing if they have several other projects, you know, if they got 10 rehabs or 10 new construction projects underway, then you start to look at that and say, okay, they're gonna keep, not only pay us, they gotta pay all these other lenders that they have loans with and keep their contractors moving forward. So I really, you know, I'm an old school underwriter. I look at everything. I don't just look at one thing. I try to make sense of the deal, not only for us, but for the customer. Looking back in your history of your company, what would you have done differently? I would have hired a, I would have hired a business coach a lot earlier on. You know, I, I started Noble Mortgage um, without much thought, to be honest with you, because I had, I had already been in the industry since 1996. I worked for a company that did hard money and conventional loans. And I left there, worked for another company for a couple of years. And then I started Noble in 03, you know, because my mindset was I'm already 100% commission. I could just do this myself. So I just subleased some office space from a guy I knew and started doing loans and got, you know, started making my own loans and so forth. So I didn't really have the, you know, the wisdom or the knowledge on what it took to build a business. And I just, you know, started doing that, started hiring people, like you said, oh, I know this guy he wants to come work over here. Yeah, come work over here. And so I didn't have, I didn't know how to put all the pieces together of, you know, it's not just, you're, you know, transitioning from 100% commission loan officer to owning a business is completely different. And a lot of people that are in commission don't realize that, and I didn't realize it. Cause you know, you don't just have to, you know, uh, close loans. You got to worry about marketing. You got to worry about HR. You got to worry about the finances. You got to worry about the accounting. And so that was a part I had to really learn. I, I tried to learn it on my own and we did well, but the culture I never knew, you know, I wasn't delegating. And so I wish I had hired a, a business coach a lot earlier on to really get me prepared for those things. That's very awesome. Um, I, I personally, I have a, a coach as well. So what advice do you have for new investor coming into the market today in the, into the single family uh, um, market today? You know, I would say you need to, as a new investor, I would probably say, number one is educate yourself, you know, cause there's a lot of ways to make money in real estate, but you need to educate yourself first and then figure out what it is you want to do because it all comes down to how much time you have, how much money you have to invest and so forth. You know, if you're a, you know, a corporate guy or a corporate woman and you're working 40 hours a week, you know, maybe flipping is not something you want to do. Maybe you should get on the rental side. So I, I would educate yourself first, get your financial house in, in order because you're going to have to borrow money. If you're going to be getting into real estate, it's very capital intensive. So and then figure out what you want to do and then really focus, you know, focus on that 
and, and, and make it something that you do, you know, when you're not at work, whatever, where you can really like spend the time to learn the craft. Cause there is a lot of, uh, there's a big learning curve in real estate and depending on what you do, it, it can be very time consuming and, and also, like I said, capital intensive. All right. So Daryl, what else do you do besides hunting? <laughs> that's it. That's all I, that's all I want to <laughs> do. Uh, I hunt a lot, you know, it's people, everybody's like, oh, you hunt a lot. I do hunt a lot. So hunting season starts in September. And then uh, it's just now wrapping up for me. So I, when I'm not hunting, um, you know, I have two boys that I absolutely adore. They are the they are my why. And uh, I spend a lot of time with them. One of them is a junior at A&M. The other one is graduating high school this year. So I spend a lot of time with them. And then, uh, you know, I love to go out to eat. I'm a big foodie. So I'm kind of like this. I have like these two personalities. You got country boy Daryl, which is all my deer heads and all that back here. And then you got city boy Daryl that, that loves to go out to, uh, to new places, try new restaurants and spend time with friends. I, I'm, I have a lot of, I'm very lucky, you know, I'm 52 years old and I'm very lucky that I have probably four guy friends that I've known for 20 plus years and two of them I've known for over 30 years. And so I spent a lot of time with my friends. And when you have those friends that knew you, you know, from way back in when you were in college and you were able to maintain those friendships, you know, in your in your elder years, boy, it's it's special because there's no there's no BS. They know exactly who you are. You know where their heart is. So I spent a lot of time with my friends and uh, spent a lot of time with my uh, my two boys. That's very special. All right. So as we wrapping up here, what is the one thing that people might be surprised to learn about you? Man, I don't know. I'm so active on social media. I think everybody knows everything <laughs> about me already. <laughs> <laughs> I run into people that I don't know at, at networking events and that it's like they already know me, you know, because I'm, I'm very big on social media and I love social media because it allows me to connect with people that I don't even know. But I guess maybe if I was going to think of one thing, you know, the thing that's interesting, you know, I grew up in Texas, obviously, but I didn't start hunting until about 10 years ago. Most of the time, as you can tell, I'm a passionate hunter, so I love talking about it. But most of the time when you meet people that hunt, they grew up hunting because their dad taught them to hunt. Well, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not that way. I didn't hunt when I was a kid. So I didn't take up hunting until I was in my early 40s. And so most people don't know that. And so when you pick up hunting at a later time in life, it's very difficult because you don't have your dad to teach you. You know, you have to like I'm on YouTube videos uh, hunting turkeys one time, figuring out how to call them and so forth. And so it's a, it's something that I had to constantly uh, educate myself and try to learn and so forth. But that's the only thing I could think of because everything else I'm pretty much out there. Are you a sharpshooter? I don't know if I'm a sharpshooter, you know, I can't shoot. Some of these guys are shooting 500, a thousand yards. Um, I'm not that good of a shooter. You know, I can shoot out to about 300. Uh, the animal I shot this last weekend was about 160 yards. So I don't have that quite in me yet. Well, I don't know how you do it, Daryl, because I cannot sit still to hunt. I'll be chasing all the deers and all the animals away. Well, it depends how you're hunting though. You know, there's, there's deer hunting where you're sitting in a deer blind and you're not, you're not moving and, that's actually not the type of hunt that I prefer. So like this hunt I did this last weekend, it's, it's a spot and stalk. And so you're walking all day long trying to find an animal and sneak up on it. That's the kind of hunts I like. Yeah, that sounds more fun because sitting in the yes, deer stand all day waiting for a deer to show up, just not really my thing. It's not my thing either. I do it, don't get me wrong, but I'd rather be on my feet and uh, in the mountains of Colorado because I, you know, or Canada, wherever I've been a lot of different places where you just grab your gun, you start walking. And that, you know, that's how it's supposed to be. That's how hunting's supposed to be in my mind. Okay. So how does the audience get in touch with you? Well, they can go to our website, which is uh, noblemortgage.com. Um, also my insurance company is Legacy Insurance Advisors, but it's Legacy Insurance ADV 
Daryl.com. Those are the, our two websites and they can certainly find me on social media, Daryl Dyke. Uh, I guess my name's on here. I don't have to spell it, but I'm easy to find on social media as well. That's it, Wallers. Thank you for tuning in with Daryl today. For more real estate talk, join our Facebook group, RE Ballers, and hit that subscribe button on the Real Estate Ballers Show so you never miss an episode. Hey, if you got serious value out of this episode, please leave us a five-star rating and a written review. Thank you for being a part of the Real Estate Ballers community. Stay tuned for more.